Well, hello there, Jet Airs here. Welcome to another edition of The Attic. And this time we find ourselves in sunny Los Angeles, Newport Beach, California, and uh, we've brought The Attic with us here on the road. And we're excited to bring to you a guest in a leadership area that we haven't ever talked to on The Attic, and that is a computer reseller, Mike Stroll. Mike is an amazing entrepreneur. He took this business over from his father. They're actually celebrating their 30th year in business. He's the CEO of E360. Some of you may know this company is Entesis. Others may remember Agile 360 here in Southern California. He and his brother, Matt, have uh, really built one of the greatest uh, resellers in the West Coast. I spent 20 years myself in the reseller world, and so I'm very excited to have our first reseller join us on this program and talk about where the industry is going and what it takes to run a great reseller. Mike, welcome to the attic. It's uh, just awesome to have you here. Pretty excited to be here. As you know, I spent 20 years in the reseller world, and you are our first guest as a uh, technology reseller. You know, I have a lot of respect for the entrepreneurial chops that it takes to uh, to run a reseller, certainly as long as you have two, three decades that Entesis has been around, or should I say E360? E360, I could give you a few other names. That yes, exactly. Happened along the way as well, but. I named them off in the, in the intro there Did for you, you. yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think That's I got impressive. Right. We could start E360 trivia. So yeah, excited to talk with you. We're gonna talk all, all kind of things tech, but I figure we could start with that. You know, the beginning. Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your childhood. Ah, well, I was born in San Francisco, not too far from here. Uh, grew up in Burlingame, just south of San Francisco. By the airport, uh, right? Yes, yeah. by the airport. Used to go down and watch the airplanes take off and land at what we called the moon. <laughs> and, you know, spent most of my life in Northern California and recently relocated to Southern California, right down the road here. So. Perfect. So. Tell us about what you were like as a kid. Tell us about your parents. What did they do? Oh, well, my parents actually kind of have origins in this. My dad was a senior vice president of corporate electronic banking, which was basically software development on databases for um, Bank of America. My mom was stay-at-home mom. Um, my stepmom was also a senior vice president of software development uh, for the same bank uh, overall. And so that's kind of a little bit about them. I mean, me growing up, I was just a short, nerdy, skinny, shy, bullied child, and no sports. Uh, I played. T I was on the tennis team, okay. which is probably why I got bullied even more. <laughs> and um, but um, and a little bit of skiing. That was actually my thing more than anything else growing up. By far, always up to Tahoe every weekend whenever I could get there. So, Mike, we've had a number of guests on this show that are uh, mm -hmm. pretty fun and famous people in the end-user compute space. And one thing that uh, we've always found every time is that at some young age they were aspiring business person and doing a little research on you, we found that at 11 you were uh, writing business plans. What the heck were you writing about? Actually, you'll find this very entertaining, I think, and uh, it's very frustrating to me at the same time. So go, growing up in Burlingame, um, if you looked out from my house in Burlingame out towards the bay, there were days when the smog was just horrendous. They wouldn't even let us at recess effectively go out, out of the classrooms and what have you. Mm -hmm. and so. I had this idea that, you know, how you can get um, purified water and drink it out of a bottle, we all do it. Well, back then, I had this idea that we could put purified air in a bottle and have a thing that you put on and be able to take a breath of fresh air uh, whenever the air was bad or you just needed it. And the name of it was going to be Perry Air, as opposed to Perrier. <laughs> 
And so I read this whole plan on it, and I showed it to some people in my family, and they were like, yeah, that's really nice, and nobody's ever going to buy air, but now go to Colorado or just about Vegas or wherever else, and I believe it's called Boost, and so, mm -hmm. and it's everywhere, and it's 15 bucks for a bottle of air or whatever they charge, so it just gives me encouragement. It's all about timing and life. timing and, yeah. and, and maybe a little bit of age, so. Exactly. Well, that's great. And so how did you end up in tech? Obviously, your parents being in, into uh, software, mm. I'm sure had some influence, but yeah, how, well, how did you end up? Yeah, so when I was, I would say, 13 years old-ish, a friend of my mom's uh, gave me a North Star computer, which, you know, used the big floppy disks and what have you, and so I would kind of program in my closet. Really wasn't into it, to be honest with you. And then I wasn't really interested in anything my parents were doing at all whatsoever. And uh, when I started college at San Francisco State, uh, my first semester, a gator. I, I'm a gator. You're a gator. All right. I didn't know that. There you go. See, <laughs> I would have been on this show sooner if you'd known. So <laughs> I knew there was a reason why I liked it. Exactly. So um, humble beginnings. Yes, I absolutely failed COBOL. So I hated computers even more. Then my dad started our company, which was the PC Skill Center, because uh, he wanted to train people on how to use computers and wrote his own curriculum on DOS, Lotus One Two Three, and WordPerfect. For you young ones up there, you'll have to Google that. Um, <laughs> and while I was going to school, I was doing another job, and I just started working with him part-time, and my brother started working with him full-time, and little tiny place, and off we went. So I know, I think one of the things I remember about you is you were a UPS driver, right? And you were on this fast track to become like a great leader at UPS and mm -hmm. your dad had to kind of like talk you into coming to work for well, him? Well actually, How did that happen? it didn't exactly happen that way. I was insistent that I would never work with my dad full time. Okay. And, and not because I had a bad relationship with him. My dad's an amazing man, but I was, I worked for UPS for 10 years while I was in, or nine and a half, while I was in college. And then started working with my dad the last couple of years. And at the time, UPS was going global. And so my dream was to move to Peachtree, Georgia, and join their international marketing team, because that's what my degree was in from San Francisco State. And UPS didn't like me telling them what I thought I should do. And so they put me on a shift from 2 in the morning till 11 in the morning every single day, which at a young age allowed me to actually work more with my dad. And then one day it was just barely big enough for me to say, Sorry, UPS, and Dad, let's go see what we can do with this thing. Yeah, so then mm -hmm. it was you and your dad and Matt, and mm -hmm. we, uh, we like to and talk my step about humble bets. origins like addicts. Yes. Where, did, where did this company start? Was it in a humble spot? Uh, it was in the East Bay in Northern California. The very first spot was in Walnut Creek. It was a tiny little just classroom. I wasn't involved at that point. And then it moved um, to Martinez into basically what was a warehouse with a small office. Uh, associated with it and we were probably four or five people at that point we needed the warehouse because back then we did things like laser printer repair we built white box PCs all the things that we all did way back in those early days yeah that's mm -hmm. great I uh, when I was at MTM I took over that Rhino division that was out there in ah, Venetia yes you they did had a similar uh, mm -hmm. little uh, factory in the back yep. of it yeah so uh, sh share with me kind of how you got into end-user compute from this five-person company working mm -hmm. in Tr training people on PCs, yep. you, you end up, uh, somehow you must have found the gift of Citrix and mm. virtualization, and how did that occur? Totally random, of course. Of I would course. love to tell you I'm a great strategist and tactician, but not quite like that. <laughs> so uh, when I left UPS um, in 1994, uh, the day that I left, my dad got sick, and five months later he passed away. 
And so I never really got to work with him full time at all. But we had a base of the business, and me and Matt and my stepmom, Betts, um, kind of looked at each other and said, well, you know, let's see where this thing goes. And about a year into it, we won a, our first bigger, although compared to these days, it wouldn't be big, but bigger um, Novell networking deal. And it was all the stuff that the customer was buying. And there was this little thing called Citrix that was associated with it. And we're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And so we started studying up on it and decided we wanted to specialize in it. And off we went. That was a lucky, lucky stroke because, yeah. I mean, obviously, as the company grew, at mm -hmm. least from my perspective, you became one of the best Citrix resellers in the world. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, it um, seems like that's the, that's the case, right? Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting because once we got going with it, it did more than just allow us to be good at something. Because it was specialized, it got us into all the, took us from small businesses to all the largest businesses across the Bay Area. It allowed us to get MSAs with those organizations. It allowed us to increase our rates from, you know, break fix type stuff to true, you know, consulting level. So it really just had its own groundswell of things that circ that we would never anticipated when we said, yeah, let's go and do this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, how how did you end up scaling the business? Because obviously, you grew, you've grown. Mm -hmm. How big is the company now? It's, Hundreds of employees, right? Yeah, in your all two hundred and seventy-five ish employees at this yeah. point in time, and so back then it was just really Citrix and service, and it was software service, software service. But through time, so you grow a little bit organically doing that type of thing. But through time, a variety of things occur, and so in two thousand seven, um, we were doing we were probably about fifteen ish people. And there's another company that we all would go to the Citrix events and Platinum Council meetings and all that other good stuff. And this other company, Agile 360 in Southern California, was kind of the same, same DNA, same cultures, passionate people, really, really good at what they did. And we had the opportunity to come together and acquire uh, that organization and expand ourselves uh, throughout California. And the similar stories go on 2010 that we were selling no hardware and we had been partnering with another company to deliver hardware solutions and the opportunity to acquire them came up and so we did that and even you follow into the last couple of years um, we kind of did cyber but we really didn't do it and we had been partnering with a cyber company and had the opportunity to acquire them and similar things along the lines of cloud as well and so it's it's been opportunistic more than it's been planned it's always been with people we know um, really deeply know that we know fit within our culture as opposed to sending out M&A groups to go find companies to acquire and so yeah it's amazing so let, let's walk through the evolution so it started as PC Skills Center good job then it was Entesis uh, no it was PC Skills Center then because we wanted to be known as a networking company we were PCSE Network Technologies okay then we became Entesis and where's the Entesis name come from what is the origin Enter Enterprise Information Systems nothing okay. exciting <laughs> no no big background or anything like that it's just Matt and I, I Matt came up with the name technically you're the and marketing so, guy yeah well yeah so I'm the one that's a great idea and then <laughs> refused to take credit for it and then uh, we acquired Agile 360. We kept both brands uh, for a long time. And then just a few years back, we combined them to Entesis 360, and that was a whole process. Uh, and then over the last, well, since then, everybody has called us E360 or gone by whatever else. And so 
it was kind of stating the obvious to make this next move, which hopefully is our last naming move. <laughs> Just easier to remember, E360. Yeah, exactly. That's well, good. I was even in a meeting here at the Lido House, actually, um, and one of the reps from the company we were talking to introduces me to one of their executives, and she goes, this is Mike with E360, and it was right after we had decided to change the name, but nobody knew it, and I just got this big smile on my face, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's Enesis 360. I go, no, you just made me very happy right That's now. So, so it's pretty yes, cool. I've had those as a marketer before when mm -hmm. people are ahead of the curve. Yeah, it's exactly. Good, good moment for you. So t talk a little bit about like sort of the uh, vision you have in terms of the, where you think the market's going and how you're helping, because uh, obviously one of the things that's been remarkable watching you is just your, your ability to sort of even though maybe you got lucky early on to sort of see around the corner with the things you're doing with cyber, cloud, marketplaces. Yep. Share a little bit about kind of where you see uh, the future and how you're meeting those needs. Sure, so it's, it's in an interesting way, all the things we've always done, it's just a different way to do them. So you're building a data center, now you've got a hybrid data center. Now that you have a hybrid data center, in order to do that, you have to pass the CISO test, so you have to have the cyber aspect to what you're doing. People may want to transact in different ways, and I have big beliefs as it relates to marketplaces and, and where that is headed you know, as a whole. And all I'm trying to do is instead of wait for it to be too late, be ahead of it, and I think that will give us a strategic advantage with our clients, with our partners, like IGEL, uh, and as overall leaders in the community as a whole. So I know, Mike, we didn't uh, want to talk too much about tech, but given that you're in the seat that just to see a lot of uh, interesting, innovative, disruptive technologies out there, can you share with the audience kind of some of the uh, companies that you're excited to work with right now? Sure, I, probably the number one company that I'm excited to work with is Google more than anything else now. This isn't a startup or something anybody's ever heard of, but what they're doing around partner engagement, opportunities, business development, investment, kind of innovation as a whole. They're a great innovative partner. And kind of one of the cool things is a bunch of um, our friends from Citrix past are in the chain of command that we work with overall. So even though it's a cloud is a whole different world, learning to speak the language, learning to work with the reps, but when you have familiar faces and you've had past success, suddenly everybody wants to lean in a little bit harder because Success really comes with people that can execute. It doesn't you know, take technology X out, put technology Y in. Mm -hmm. It's always the same type of thing. There's a lot of coolness that's going on also with um, cyber companies that are out there, companies like Abnormal Security, companies like Grip. Um, it goes on and on. We're actually doing some neat things. You know, We've all gone to EBCs in our past and um, sat through big you know, Citrix or VMware or HP or whatever presentations. And now we're beginning to work with the investors um, on Sand Hill Road, for lack of a better term, down in the Silicon Valley. And we're putting together innovation briefings. So they're new to market, what's coming to market briefings for our clients as well. As a matter of fact, RSA is going on this week and we're doing a whole VC briefing for a bunch of our customers up there. And that really brings out higher level executives, opens up opportunities to really kind of be innovating with our customers as yep. opposed to selling them stuff that's been already created that everybody knows exists. Yep, so. I remember one of my favorite things when I was a reseller was actually doing bus tours of Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and you know, going into these campuses and showing 
people from Cleveland firsthand what was going yeah, on yeah. in these briefing centers. Now we can do that again. We yeah. don't have to do it all over Zoom. Yeah. If we could talk a little bit about COVID and how your uh, business did through COVID, mm -hmm. that'd be great. Because I think yeah. it's uh, obviously as somebody who has a lot of experience in end user compute, you were front and center. So mm -hmm. how did COVID? So from the end user or the digital workplace side of things, um, we obviously did very well. You know, we have a lot of clients, we added a lot of seats, we created some home opportunities, we did all kinds of things, not just with the Citrix side of things, uh, but also with how people computed at home, with security, with collaboration. I mean, it was, once again, Citrix being the gift that keeps on giving is, it's all the drag business that went along with uh, that as well. And it really helped us, you know, from a client trust perspective and kind of moved this back into the center of what was most important with people because they wanted their people to be able to work. So that was a good side of it. Um, we actually, our technology sales numbers were great. Our services were off the charts okay. through the entire thing. But we, like, you know, many other companies dealt with some of the strains that go along with everybody working from home because our people were working from home too. And you know me well enough to know that if I'm not face-to-face, -face, um, that I can't connect with people and people can't connect with each other the way that you want them to. And no matter how many Zoom calls, how many wine and whatevers or bourbon and whatevers um, you do, you know, all that stuff got old. And so, so are you back in the office now? Or are you uh, uh, part-time? Yeah. So, and, and we haven't put a heavy thing in with people, you know, because of what we do was at the customer sites and the only difference now is whether or not the customers will let them be at their sites and so we do office days and i'm starting to do more and more things around mixers and things like that where i can see people people can see each other the other major 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 thing that we had during covid is we went from 120 people in our organization to almost 250 people while nobody could meet each other and see each other and that created its own series of cultural challenges i'll say and so Beauty is business is growing, good things are happening. Hard thing is, is how do you keep your culture connected and, and what have you. Yeah. So. And how would you describe, I mean, you've been in business for 30 years. Many of the people that I know and love that work for you have been mm -hmm. there for 25 mm -hmm. of those years. Yeah. And uh, so how would you describe the culture at Emphasis? Uh, it's a bunch of people that are truly passionate, first and foremost, about each other, uh, about what they do, uh, take their love of this business to a whole other level mm -hmm. and that they feel like they're part of a family. We started as a family business, we're still a family business. Even with some of the new people that we've brought on, these big time heavy hitter sales people from other organizations, they get on the phone when they're trying to explain to their customers why they should move from where they were to, to us. It, they always start it with the culture, with family, with flexibility with passion for what we do. And it just comes out over and over and over again, so. Yeah, well, I'd love to talk a little bit about mm -hmm. just sort of your input, because I know you help Citrix build a better product, but as the leader of iGel, mm -hmm. you really have helped us. You case came in uh, when I was first here, and we worked on some very big Silicon Valley customers like mm -hmm. eBay and PayPal, and we mm -hmm. actually built some technology that came in very handy during COVID also, yeah. right? The cloud gateway. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess, first of all, thank you for uh, you know, being a great Agile partner and thank you for that feedback loop and kind of the brutal honesty. And I think that's actually where we first met was mm -hmm. at these uh, partner council type meetings, right? Uh, where uh, sort of. the gloves come yes, off, right? Exactly. Uh, and, and you kind of, so talk a little bit about that in terms of how you think about partnering. Um, 
Well, the word partnership is where it all begins because there's a lot of posers out there, if you want to call it that. And when you're partnered with somebody, it's not me selling your stuff or you selling me on your stuff. It's us in the trenches together going out and basically building a better, better world and using technology to do it. And if we're operating at that level mentally as organizations, not just me and you, then we take giant steps, not baby steps forward and baby steps back. Yeah, so I'm sure there's a lot of people out here that are listening that would love some advice from you in terms of like, what, is, what are some of the best practices of partners that come to your doorstep? Because I'm sure you have many of them that mm -hmm. want you to resell their product. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, get any, any practical advice in terms of you know, what you look for when you, uh, you see a, a good mm -hmm. partner? Yeah, it, absolutely. It really is as simple as I can tell they actually care about our success. Mm -hmm. I, it really comes down to that. The partnership we're developing with Google, as an example, the interaction is incredible. It's, I can tell they care about our success. I can tell if there's a problem. They, whether they can solve it for us may or may not occur. You know, We deal with these things every day. But the fact that I know that they're really trying and they really mean it and they're really into making sure that happens for us or for our customers is a huge deal. It's always been our relationship with iGel that way. And you know, I, I feel like if I have a problem, I'm phoning a friend. And I'm saying, hey, this is what's happening right here. You need to not, not just know because I'm upset, but because this represents your brand as well and you accept it in that format. We have a similar relationship with Cisco. As large as they are, they actually, when they talk and they get engaged with something, they actually care about what's going mm -hmm. on. And you can, it just oozes through you. When you sit on partner calls with other organizations that maybe say the words, but don't live the actions, you can feel that too. Yeah, well, I'd love to go back to Google this for a minute because I think a lot of people think about you know public cloud and the hyperscalers mm -hmm. and they think Azure and they think Amazon mm -hmm. and obviously Thomas uh, coming over to Google and kind of putting a much more enterprise focus on mm -hmm. Google. I'm sure you're feeling some of his uh, impact there, but how are you partnering with them? What technologies are you? Is it mm -hmm. the cloud? Is it Chrome? Is it? It's the cloud. We reset all their Google Commit contracts. Uh, as an organization which resellers should learn how to do, whether it's uh, Amazon EDPs or Microsoft Azure Mac agreements. Um, when you get into that level, then what you can do is build services around that um, because you're managing and you know what their consumption is. Uh, we're selling FinOps services, we're doing um, software development, we're doing DevOps and automation. Uh, we're working with the Google Workspace side of things, G Suite side of things, and most recently, actually, we had a kickoff meeting where we had the global Citrix Alliance people, the global Google Alliance people, and our team at our office for their first ever partnership discussion around the Google DAS offering, which was built on the Citrix platform. So, wow, so it's all coming back together. Always does. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about Citrix, given mm -hmm. your you know, early uh, been watching the company for two decades, mm -hmm. and you know, we and with just the, within the last six months, we see Tibco, you know, mm -hmm. merging with Citrix, and we see last week VMware, you know, mm -hmm. um, being acquired by Broadcom. How do you? And then of course, you know, we just uh, uh, interviewed Scott from Manchester, who's mm -hmm. kind of the godfather of Windows 365 AVD. Mm -hmm. So clearly, some seriously changing 
dynamics in this market, and you're someone that's probably had a sort of bird's eye view of the whole thing, mm -hmm. kind of how do you see all of these changes? And this is a safe space, only a few thousand people watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, should I tell you what I really think? I hope so. So I'm a bit in a wait and see mode. If there's one thing I've learned over the years, when these announcements are made, you know, beating and yelling and screaming doesn't do anything because what we need to do is be able to adapt to these different things, but it's bigger than that because you have already other factors. Amazon has workspaces. Uh, as an example, um, on the Google platform, there are other things like WorkSpot that are out there. There's Tahama, there's all these things. And so Al Solorzano, he's constantly looking at these things. He's The more interesting thing is he's retooling his people to be cloud certified, uh, to look at how they innovate, whether it's running the traditional technologies like Citrix on these different cloud platforms, helping customers migrate, creating hybrid workplace scenarios with multiple technologies. Mm -hmm. I think there's just more dynamic opportunities around this kind of stuff now where everything, what, what's the words they say? Um, not everything is a nail that needs to be hit by a hammer. There's lots of ways to take care of things. And you can be more focused actually on client requirements than anything else. What Broadcom does to VMware, don't know. What the TIPCO thing means to Citrix, I don't know. I know both technologies aren't going away by any stretch of the imagination. I know we're highly skilled in those and I won't abandon that. Uh, but we also have to be smart and be innovating with the bigger picture things, which to me are the things that are really happening, especially in the cloud space. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about security and I know you have a big interest in investment in building security and you got to believe with this hybrid world that we're now living in that you just described, mm -hmm. the security is only going to become more important. Sure. Do, can you talk a little bit about how you see that? And obviously the end user compute with uh, everyone working at mm -hmm. home has heightened this. So. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a combination. So you have that, you have all the world of ransomware, um, you have changing rules around privacy. You have customers not being able to find resource, finding cyber resources and cloud resources is a very challenging thing. So there is a market that needs this type of help. And then you pile onto it the fact that the way people are, are computing, building data centers, hybrid data centers, where people are working from, and then you put it all together and how do you secure that? It requires all kinds of different skill sets and it starts at a consulting level. It's not even at a technology level. And you, building those relationships with customers so that, again, we're in partnership with them, making sure not only as they go through these changes, they're getting the technology right, but making sure it's, it's secure and it passes the CISO sniff test and the compliance sniff tests and all the other things that go along with it. Yeah, it's great. Well, uh, yeah, there's a pretty fun audience and, yeah, as you know, a small world out here with end user mm -hmm. compute and uh, a lot of people uh, hopefully will watch this. Any words of uh, wisdom that you want to impart on them as to give you kind of the, the final word here? We're all in this together. We're all friends. I actually get to go to New York next week to see a bunch of my friends. Big shout out to the M7 uh, yeah, Maybe we should take a second and so. just tell everybody about M7 because I think that by itself from a partnering mm -hmm. perspective is kind of a unique mm -hmm. uh, storyline, right? The fact that sure. uh, seven companies that were actually competitors would have come mm -hmm. together to uh, to work together yep. and, and why? So, well, the why is interesting. So I think it's about 12 years ago now. COVID messes everything up. I had the dates because we had the parties. But yes. anyways, 
we all came together and we, we all knew each other because we were, like you said, at the conferences and the council meetings and the things like that. And we would hang out and, you know, have dinners or drinks or whatever else. But at the time, um, Citrix was moving in a new direction as it relates to partner types. So they started signing national partners uh, up. You were one of them. And we could see their funding actually being redirected towards nationals. They wanted more scale for every dollar. Makes sense. And so we got together and talked about it. And we're like, let's form our own national uh, so that we can engage with them and stay relevant. It wasn't about taking anything from anyone. It was really about relevance. And we had, exactly, we had so much good synergy amongst us as friends that there was never a worry about competition. I mean, in this business, if you're worried about competition, then there's something wrong with what you're doing. You should be looking to every, we all get better if we kind of open the kimono and share amongst each other our experiences because this business is hard and customers requirements are changing now at a rate that is unprecedented and there's no way anybody has the answer. So if you don't have your networking community uh, and that's our partnerships, it's the M7 group, um, it's our employees, it's people we know from our past, you have no chance at success. Yeah. Mike, this is a uh, family, as you've mentioned before. It's a yeah. small community, this little dark corner of end-user compute. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's, we've been uh, through a lot together over the last mm -hmm. couple decades. Um, your partnership has meant a lot to me personally. Um, it's, it's good to be uh, here with you face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just want to give you the last word. We have a lot of people out there that we haven't been able to see mm -hmm. over the last uh, three years, two and a half years now, I guess it's been with no synergy. So uh, maybe you can share uh, the last final parting thoughts to our, our family out there. Sure, well, one, it's just good to be sitting here face to face with you. It's a big step in this whole direction. I know with Disrupt tomorrow, I know I can see your big smiling face, which is great. Uh, with Disrupt tomorrow, we'll get to see some more people, which I think is fantastic. You know, I just remember to be kind to each other. Um, this is an awesome business we're in. As I said earlier, it's hard, but man, enjoy the ride because it's awesome and it's filled with amazing people. And I'm really excited to be able to be getting back out and just connecting with people. Before we started this interview, I walked in and in the bar was a friend of mine that I've known forever, right, in yeah. this industry overall. And it's just hugs all around for everybody. And I think it's terrific. Mike, thank you so much for the uh, partnership, the friendship, and uh, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to be part of the attic. Uh, just great to see you and great to see you. We can do this now. I want to put a quick shout out. The iGel Attic is a uh, production of iGel Technology and uh, there's some key staff that help us put this together every time. Nicole Simons, my chief of staff. Ron Bowman is the executive director. We also have a crew that comes together under the uh, supervision of Peter Stepanek and Jamie Godfrey is the editor. So it's a, a really amazing team effort to put this together. We hope that you uh, enjoy it. You can uh, subscribe on YouTube and that will get you all the alerts of uh, as new episodes drop. We also now have it on podcast. So happy to have you listen to this uh, on your favorite podcasts. Until we meet again, please uh, be kind to each other and uh, be well. And we'll see you again somewhere soon. Thank you so much.